John chapter 4. I hope you found your place there. If you did, look up this way. John chapter 4, verse number 43 is where we're going to begin this morning. And so we are in a series. This is actually sermon number 19. Um, so if we uh, add that up, we only have about 80 more sermons to go. Uh, but we want to take our time. We want to see what God's Word has to say. And so uh, this is going to conclude John chapter 4 this morning. But the Bible says, now after two days, he departed thence. He's been in Samaria. There's been the last sermons at Samaria with the woman at the well. That's what's taken place. Now after two days, he spent that time there. He departed thence and went into Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet hath no honor in his own country. Then when he was coming to Galilee, the Galileans received him having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem at the feast, for they also went unto the feast. They were excited. Jesus is here. This is great. So Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine, and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. Now Capernaum was about 20 miles east of Cana. Capernaum was down on the Sea of Galilee. Cana was up in the mountains closer to Nazareth, all right? When he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then said Jesus unto him, Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. The nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down ere my child die. Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. Then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend. When did he begin to get better? And they said unto him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. Okay? He didn't start recovering. The fever disappeared. It was just boom, and suddenly he was better at the seventh hour yesterday. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth, and himself believed and his whole house. This is again the second miracle that Jesus did when he was come out of Judea into Galilee. This is the second miracle that took place in Cana of Galilee. The title this morning is The Blessings of Believing. The Blessings of Believing. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just come before you this morning and I know this, that in my own strength I cannot communicate your word as you would want it. I pray that you would bless, that you would give me strength, Lord, give me clarity of thought. I pray that your word would speak. Lord, that we would know what you are saying, that we would listen, and Lord, that we would believe your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. In our story this morning, or not a story, but the real event that took place, this wasn't just a made-up story that John the Apostle was writing, but this was a real event that took place and it was a real man who was going through probably one of the worst things 
one of the worst things that can happen to a person was that his child was facing death. And in that moment, he began to seek after God. And is it, is it not true that it's often troubles and trials that can, and difficulties and struggles that can make a person rethink some things they've been doing? can make someone want to make some changes, can make someone who maybe has not cared about God at all suddenly begin to turn and begin to think about the things of God. Okay, we could say this. Someone who has a habit of speeding and just doesn't care. I mean, they're just pedaled to the metal the entire time. Um, once they get their license revoked for a little bit, okay, obviously that's going to make them stop and it's going to make them think it should, anyways. There's some it doesn't. But, okay, we would say it should make you, wait a second, what's going on here? I need to make some, I need to evaluate what's going on. Someone who maybe struggles with alcohol. And they're like, I can handle it. I can handle it. And then they get in a car accident driving under the influence. And they go, I, I'm not handling this. I need to check into rehab. I need to do something about this. And it is the... It can be the worst situation that turns into the best situation, right? It can be someone realizes, wait a second, what direction am I going? How did I end up here? And it's the hit of the bottom. It's the reality smacking them in the face that can change their thinking and take someone who... Um, it hasn't been concerned about it at all and suddenly they're concerned about it. And the same thing often happens spiritually. Someone who really hasn't thought about God at all, suddenly a loved one faces death. Suddenly they're diagnosed with a disease. Someone they care about something. It's not always this way, but often that's the case. It is a struggle. It is a tragedy. It is a, uh, maybe a national disaster. Maybe an event like 9-11 or um, a tra different tragedies. And somebody go, wait a second. And it shakes the reality and makes them realize, I need something that I don't have. I need some answers. All right, now to get our context and see where this nobleman, that's where our nobleman was. But for Jesus to get to the nobleman, there were some things that had to take place first. Jesus had to return to his home country of Galilee. Okay, Jesus was in Jerusalem. He was there at the Feast of the Passover. He was preaching. He performed miracles that were there. He cleansed the temple when He was there. Then He was on His way back to Galilee. The Bible says He must needs go through Samaria. He traveled through Samaria. He stopped at the well. He talked with a woman who was thirsty. And He gave her everlasting water. He gave her the living water that satisfied His thirst. And there was a great harvest as Jesus spent the next two days there in Samaria. And sometimes we might be tempted to say, Jesus, things are going great there. Why are you moving on? You only stayed there two days. Just think about all the other things that you could do. But Jesus said, no, I'm in obedience to the will of the Father. Jesus wasn't just going helter-skelter where he was on a plan, he was on a mission from God, and he begins to return to Jerusalem. And I'm sorry, return to Galilee, to his home country. And then we have verse number 44, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet hath no honor in his own country. And really what that is talking about is the 
John the Apostle is contrasting those Samaritans with the land of Israel. With those who didn't care about God, with those who said they cared about God. And it was, Jesus had a better response in Samaria, in an area that people said, that's hard, nobody cares about God over there, than when he came into Judea and there was a lot of religious people there and they didn't want to accept Jesus as their Savior. They were very excited that Jesus was doing miracles. Oh, in John chapter 2, there were great crowds that were coming to see Jesus perform miracles. They were really excited about what Jesus was doing. Oh, this could be the Messiah. But when Jesus started talking about surrender, when Jesus started talking about you need to believe on me and this isn't about a kingdom, this is about uh, being saved from your sins, all of a sudden they weren't too interested anymore. They were looking for a Messiah that satisfied them. They were looking for a Messiah that was according to their needs. To accept Jesus as a good man, as a great teacher even to say, is not honoring Jesus. We have a lot of the same people today. Oh, I, I love Jesus. Well, do you know him? No, I, I don't ever go to church. I don't ever read my Bible, but I love Jesus. That's not honoring Jesus, my friend. Jesus um, is not seeking for our accolades. He's not seeking for us to go, oh yeah, I, I believe in Jesus too. He wants us to commit our hearts to Him and to surrender to Him and for Him to be our master and for us to follow Him. That's what Jesus is seeking. That's why Jesus would say, this people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. That's what Jesus would say. He says, I don't have honor here. Oh, when Jesus got there to Galilee, there was a great crowd waiting to receive Him, waiting to welcome Him. These were some of the same people that were at Jerusalem that had seen the miracles. And they had said, this is so exciting. And now Jesus had come back to His hometown, right? To His home area. Oh, our hometown hero is here. Let's send out the parade. Let's, that, that's basically what's happened. They gave Him a hero's welcome there into Galilee, but they weren't ready to believe in Him. They weren't coming to Him for forgiveness of sins. They were excited about what Jesus could do for them and how Jesus could make their life better. Um, they were, there were many religious there were many even very heartfelt religious people here. But they weren't ready to receive Jesus as their Savior. Jesus was there. He was there in Galilee to preach the gospel. It would be some of these same people who had received Jesus who two years later would cry out, crucify Him, crucify Him. It was some of these same people. What happened? Jesus hadn't met their expectations. Jesus hadn't fulfilled their desires. That's not how the Jesus of the Bible works. He's not here to meet our desires to fulfill our expectations. He is here because He is Lord and we are to surrender to Him. And then He will do what He desires to do in our life. Jesus had returned to Galilee not to be popular. Not to have crowds follow Him, but to do the will of the Father to engage in people believing on Him and giving them eternal life. 
And as Jesus was making that journey to Galilee, okay, this is real events. There's miles that are being walked. There's blisters that are being engaged. There's things that are going on. While Jesus is returning into Galilee and making that trip, what we would call a tragedy is taking place a short time, a short while, a short distance away in Capernaum. All right? A nobleman was watching a terrible fever destroy the body of his son. His son was sick. His son was at the point of death. He said, come down, sir, ere my child die. My, my son is at the point of death. It, it is, um, it is, his life is hanging by a thread. It's there in the balance. Well, what's a nobleman? Okay, let's, let's just get an understanding of uh, what this is. Well, a nobleman was a person who would have, had, uh, would have been directly responsible to a king. He was a state official, all right? He was someone who had a political office, all right? Is everybody, that's, he was someone who had a position of political power. Most likely, he would have been uh, there in the court of Herod Antipas. Capernaum was the trade and commerce center of that area of Galilee. It had the garrison of Roman soldiers. It had the customs office. That's where Matthew, who became a disciple, he worked at the customs office there in Capernaum. And so this was the business political center of Galilee. That's where this man was stationed. And he was a nobleman, so apparently he had some level of office. He had power. He had position in the secular realm. Our text reveals that he had multiple servants. His servants came to him. So if he is a man of position and he has multiple servants, and not all of his servants came to him with the message, there were some home as well, um, that shows that he was a man of means. All right, I don't think we're drawing too much out here. That he was a man of position. He was a man of some financial means. He had servants that were with him that were there. He had the position. And he had a young son. He had an heir. to his, He had a family. He had an heir to his family line. Could we say this? He was a man who seemed to have it all. He had position. He had wealth. He had a family. He had a son uh, that was coming after him. And the Bible doesn't tell us whether this man was Jew or Gentile, but it does seem that he would be a Jew because he asked Jesus to come into his house. A, a Gentile would not necessarily ask a Jew to come into their house. So it would appear that he was a, he was a not very religious Jew employed by Herod. I'm not trying to uh, surmise too much here, but usually religious Jews didn't have a lot to do with Herod. And so... Just trying to paint the picture here a little bit. Let's, let's see the man as this. He's a man who seems through some of the hypocrisy of Jerusalem and of the religious people that are around him. And he knows that isn't what he wants. He, 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 he's, it's all about the money. It's just hypocrisy. They say this. They're doing something else. I don't want to be a part of that. I'm going to take care of my family. I'm going to be a good family man. And so he has position. He has money. He has a son. He just doesn't really care much about religion. He's kind of lost interest in religion. But something terrible happens that changes his mind completely. His son lay sick with a fever. That's what the Bible says there. The fever left him. So he has some sort of infection. He has some sort of uh, disease that has 
that has attacked his son's body that is um, wreaking havoc there. And um, the idea there, it's in perfect tense, so the sickness is growing. Okay, he was sick and was continuing to get sicker. Uh, this, uh, the uh, a disease was winning the day. Now, if you have had a sick child, that's something that consumes your energy, your thinking. If you're just sick yourself, it takes all of that. But if you're, if you're trying to care for someone who's sick, someone you love, and whether it's a parent, whether it's a family member, you're trying to care for them, can you imagine the agony that's in his heart as he's looking at this disease that's taking place in his son's life and... Uh, there was one thing on this man's heart, there was one thing on his mind, and that's the life of his child. As a man of means, as a man in position, no doubt he's tried every doctor. I mean, come on. If your child's sick, what do you do? You get on the phone and call the doctor. Uh, and if one didn't work, he had the means to try this doctor and to try that doctor. He was going to get the other opinion. He was going to do what was necessary for his son. And they have tried all that they could. And his son's condition is weakening. His he is not making progress. He is not growing better. Each attempted cure has brought no relief. And as he is, his mind is churning, his life has been turned upside down, the rumors of a healer, the rumors of a miracle worker are spreading like wildfire throughout the realms of Galilee. Did you hear what this Jesus guy did in Jerusalem? What did he do? He made lame people walk. He made sick people better again just with his touch. He made blind people see. Think about what this Jesus can do. And this man is getting to the point of desperation, right? He's tried everything he knows how to try. And finally, he says, if Jesus can do anything, he's my last hope. This is, this is all that I have. If, if this guy can't do something, it's it. And he travels to find Jesus and beg him to come heal his son. He heard, the Bible says there, when he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, verse number 47. So the, the rumors reached him. Jesus is coming. He travels 20 miles to go meet Jesus. He's at his wit's end. Nothing he has tried has worked. This Jesus guy has some sort of power. Uh, he has something. And maybe it can touch my son. And the Bible says he comes and he beseeches Jesus. He begs. He is pleading. You have to come heal my son. Can you hear the desperation in his voice? Come, come on, you need, to, you need to hear that there. You need to put yourself in the story. He's desperate. He's pleading. Now, remember this, he's a nobleman. He's a powerful man. He's a court official. What is he used to having? He's used to having people come plead their cases before him. Can you forgive our tax debt? Can you do something? The Roman soldiers are taking over our house. Please, can you do anything? And here he is in his situation. There's nothing he can do. And he's down begging this man he's never met before. If there's anything you can do, can you come heal my son? He believed that Jesus could perform this miracle. 
This trouble had made him desperate. Okay? He's thinking about things he's never thought about before. He needs something to happen in his son's life. He comes to Jesus with what was beyond his own power. The trouble that he was enduring helped him to seek Jesus. And isn't it a fact of life, as we mentioned in the introduction, that trouble and suffering can cause people to seek God? Brother Sam said this, When do most young parents seek God? When a healthy baby is born? Or when their child is at a point of great danger? When do most seek God? When they come into great fortune? Or when they fail in fortune? The reality is, is that our hearts are more often pre prepared to hear from God when touched by trials and adversity. Pharaoh got serious when, an old, when his oldest son was killed. David got serious about his sin when God smote the son that was born in adultery. That's when David got serious. He didn't write Psalm 51 until his son died. God often brings trials and troubles to get our attention. To get us to take the headphones off and the earbuds out to be able to pay attention to what God is trying to say from us. There's many people... I met somebody yesterday outdoor knocking. He goes, I don't believe in God. Just, he was trying to get me off his doorstep. He was trying to get me away. He just didn't want to talk to me. I, but here's, I don't believe, you don't have to say that. I don't need Jesus to run my life. I'm doing fine just the way I am. But the Creator God can get someone's attention. Um, God knew how to get Jonah's attention when he ended up in the belly of the whale. And God is more than capable of getting your attention. And sometimes it depends how much suffering you have to go through to when you're going to actually pay attention to what God is trying to tell you. And so here was this nobleman who something terrible was happening in his life and he had this choice. Either he could grow bitter about it he could pent it up within himself and say, why is God allowing this to happen to me? Or he could take it and he could turn it and give it to God and say, God, you're the only person who can solve this. And he came to God. He came to Jesus Christ. Now remember this, John chapter 2. Jesus already perfectly knew this situation. The Bible says that Jesus needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. He knew all men. Jesus knew this man was coming to him before he got there. Jesus knew the name of his boy. Jesus knew what sickness he had. Jesus knew the condition that he was there. Jesus was not shocked. He was there waiting for him to come. And Jesus was there waiting for this official to come. Now some people would say, uh, in a secular approach, here comes this nobleman. Well, he's got position, he's got authority. Man, this nobleman could really help my ministry. Right? Some, some people treat problems like that. I wonder how this could help this and how this could, this could influence. And Jesus wasn't worried about any of that. He knew that what this man had, nothing. Jesus didn't need what this man had. This man needed Jesus. 
He comes to Jesus. And Jesus deeply cared for the young man that was suffering, but he also deeply cared for his father and the suffering that he was going through. And Jesus cared and loved not just the young man and his father, but he loved the eternal soul that the young man and his father had. And that's why Jesus dealt with the deeper issue first. The man comes to Jesus. Please, can you come and heal my son? Jesus says, except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. That's harsh, right? Jesus, why would you? This man isn't suffering. This man is in agony. Why would you dare say that to him? How cruel could you be? But we, we need to remember and we need to understand some things about the character of the living God. About the character of Jesus Christ. We must never forget that Jesus knows each of us and loves each of us with a perfect love. We sang that song, I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Amazing love, how can it be? He cares about the problems you are facing. He knows exactly what's in your bank account. He knows exactly what's on that doctor's report. He knows exactly what's happening with that family member. And he cares about that problem. But also we need to understand this about the character of Jesus. That he cares more about your eternal soul. That you're going to spend eternity either in heaven with God or separated from God in a place the Bible calls the lake of fire or hell. And Jesus came on the mission for people to believe in him and to be given eternal life. Brother Sam said alleviation of pain and grief is not Jesus' greatest mission. To forgive sin, to save the lost is his primary concern. And when you get to know Jesus, he does give a peace. He does give grace to take you through the darkest waters that life can throw at you. But Jesus' primary concern is with your soul. Because what would it be if God was perfectly willing with solving your problems and letting you go to hell for all of eternity. What type of God is that? That's not the God of the Bible. And so Jesus, as God, He is God, was saying, I need to deal with something more important. I need to deal with something that's of eternal value. And before even acknowledging the request that the, son, that the Father has for His Son's health, He deals with the issue of faith. Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. It's the same word that Jesus said to Nicodemus. Except a man be born again, he shall not see the kingdom of God. Same word. Except you be born again, Nicodemus. And he said, Jesus said to this man, you're not coming to me because you're believing that I'm the Messiah. You're coming to me because you want the help that I can give you for right now. This point, this noble man is still lost. I mean, completely lost. He knows the name of Jesus. He knows that Jesus has a power that can work in his life. But there is no desire for spiritual things at this point. Right? I, I know where I'm going. I just want to make sure everybody's with me, all right? Um, he's looking at this and he's going, I need him to heal my son. And Jesus is saying, no, you need me to heal your heart. You need me to heal your soul. 
God does not exist for us. God created us for His glory. Okay? God doesn't exist in heaven just to solve our problems here on earth and to make our life better. That's not the purpose of God. That's not why God created us. And so that he oh, you need this? No. Now, God knows what we have and knows the needs. We've been over this. But we were created to worship God. We were created to be in the presence of God. And God doesn't need us, but he wants us to let us know him. And Jesus begins dealing with this man. I'm not going to just let you... I'm not just going to heal your son and let you go on your way. I need you to take the earbuds out. I need you to begin to focus on what I'm saying. I want you to hear my words. Jesus cuts to the heart of the matter because he knows the heart of men. With Nicodemus, very religious. A teacher of the law. Jesus said, except you be born again, you're not going to see the kingdom of heaven. He dealt with the heart of the matter. The woman at the well, she came with her bucket of water and said, if you'd ask me, if you knew the gift of God, I could give you something that would actually satisfy. And with this man, he says, you don't need the signs and wonders. You need to believe in me. You, you need to know who I am. He's challenging the man. Will you believe me if I don't heal your son? Except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Will you believe me if I don't do what you ask me to do? Will you believe me without seeing a sign? Can I tell you this? God is going to challenge the character of your faith. Will you stop trusting Jesus if he doesn't answer your prayer requests? If he doesn't change this certain situation? Can I tell you this? He is still God. He is still good. And we must come to him in faith. The Bible says, but without faith... It is impossible to please Him, for he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Here's the issue of faith. You've got to believe that God is, and that God is good. No matter what God does in your situation, He is still God. He is still good, and He is challenging this man's situation. He is faced with the searching questions. He is faced with the gaze of Jesus Christ. He could have said, I don't need it that bad. I don't, he could have quit, couldn't he have? What did the rich young ruler did? When Jesus said, sell what thou hast and come after me, he said, I don't want it that bad. No, I, I can't do that. What does this man do? He goes, sir, come down, ere my child die. Whatever it has to be, Whatever it has to be, Lord, I, I, I'm giving this to you. I'm, I'm going to believe whatever it takes. Jesus is taking the time to allow this man to struggle with his faith and begin to grow in that and begin to understand what it truly means to Jesus Christ. Thank God for the patience of God that He lingers with us, that He deals with us, that He takes the time for us to get it. He doesn't say, I don't have time for you. He's like, if you're willing to get it, I'll spend all the time that's necessary. Jesus gave him a promise. This man understood, there's nowhere else I can go. It's Jesus or nothing. 
Either Jesus heals this man or nothing is going to happen for my son. If you can do anything, Lord, will you help us? Was the cry of this man. He's, he's struggling. He's hearing what Jesus is saying, but he's not quite there yet. He's listening. Lord, will you, will you help me? And so Jesus gave him a promise. He said, go thy way, thy son liveth. Right? Isn't, isn't that what Jesus said? Go thy way, your son is already fine. Your son is already good. He's already healed. Jesus did not answer this man's request. What was this man's request? Come down to Capernaum and heal my son. Right? Come down ere my child die. Jesus said, no, I'm going to give you a promise of my word. Go home. Go home without me. Okay, physically speaking. I'm going to stay here and you go home and your son liveth. And this man is faced with a choice. He, Jesus is giving this man an opportunity. Are you going to believe and trust the word of God or are you going to walk away? Jesus is saying, go thy way, thy son liveth. Jesus is not offering to come down. He didn't do any hocus pocus. He didn't do this a lot. He said, just go thy way, thy son liveth. Will you believe my word? He had to take Jesus simply for what he said. By the way, Jesus Christ is under no obligation to prove himself to anyone. He already proved himself in his love by coming down to this earth. He proved himself by dying on the cross of Calvary. He proved his power by rising again on the third day. God doesn't have to prove anything to us individually. What God is asking us, will you take him at his word? Will you believe what he said? The Bible says, and he went his way. He said, I can do that. I'll take that, Jesus. We don't see this great falling down of this man and the Spirit coming over him and some great thing, or we don't see him uh, having some great experience or different. He just, the Bible says he went his way. And I don't believe he was going home. <sighs> I think he went home with confidence. There's some people who, uh, some scholars who would even say he spent the night in Capernaum and then traveled home. Because it was yesterday. Now, if it was the next day, like he didn't travel through the night to get home. He got there that night. He spent the time. He talked with Jesus. He went home the next day. He went his way. It's okay. He gets to Capernaum. His servants are meeting him on the way. Your son is living. Your son is good. Now, this man's faith wasn't perfect yet. He goes, what time did he start getting better? No, 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 you don't understand. Seven o'clock the last hour, seven o'clock of yesterday, the seventh hour, about one o'clock in the afternoon, the fever left him. It was like somebody hit the light switch. It was done. It was gone. He was perfectly fine. It's been, he's been fine ever since. We've been coming to tell you. He had to believe that the power of God could heal his son some 20 miles away without Jesus ever touching him, without Jesus ever meeting his son, without even, um, quote-unquote, knowing his name. Jesus said, he, our son liveth. 
This man believed, and his son was healed. And as they got there and they began to put the evidence together and they began to assemble it, they said, this has to be the Messiah, we believe. The, Father, the Bible says there in verse number 55, and he himself believed in his whole house. They believed in Jesus. They said, we have, we have to admit this is who he is, that Jesus is the Son of God. He found that Jesus' promises can be trusted, that God will always do exactly what He said He would do. He knew this is the power of God. Only God could do this. And they believed. They were born again. They tasted of that living water. They knew what it was mean to have their soul secure in the arms of God. This man saw the power of Jesus Christ heal his son but more importantly, heal his heart because he came to Jesus and because he believed the word of Jesus. It doesn't have to be complicated because he came to Jesus and he believed the word of Jesus. This encounter with Jesus Christ changed this man and his family for all eternity and it's recorded in the word of God. In fact, it's recorded in the word of God without a name. You know why God often puts in stories without people's names? This is just my personal opinion. So that we can put our name in there. So that we can think, if God could do that for them, God can do that for me. You see, there's many different problems and troubles that people in our world and people right in this room are facing. The most important issue of your life is the destiny of your eternal soul. Where are you going to spend eternity? That's a question that has to be answered before you leave this life. I, I hope, I pray, you don't leave this morning going, well, I hope I'm going to heaven. No, Jesus Christ came. He died on the cross. He shed His blood so that you can be made a child of God. So that you can say, I know where I'm going to spend eternity. That I've placed my faith in Jesus Christ. I confess my sins. I surrendered to Him. And by His grace alone, He saved my soul. If you've never thought about the eternal destiny of your soul, can I plead with you? We don't know when we're going to enter eternity. I'm not trying to be morbid, but you could get in a car wreck on the way home. A, a heart attack could strike you dead. You don't have any guarantees of tomorrow. The greatest trouble facing every person in our society is whether or not they are on their way to heaven. Can I tell you this? Jesus' words have the answer to that. And it's not through going through religious rituals. It's not through being a good person. It's through faith in Jesus. We receive God's grace by faith. We're saved by His blood, by His power alone. You cannot come to God in your own way. He's not going to prove Himself to you. He's already done that. You have to accept His Word. But there's those, maybe today in our room, that are facing financial problems. Okay, There are some here who say, I know for sure, I can tell you, Pastor, the day that I trusted Jesus Christ, I know I'm on my way to heaven, but just because you're saved doesn't exempt you from the problems of life and from struggles and from burdens that want to wear us down. There could be financial, there could be health problems. You don't know 
what's in that doctor's report. You don't know what's causing that problem. And you're afraid it might be cancer. You're afraid it might be this that's struggling in your life. Even when you go to the doctors, how many times do the doctors say, we don't know what's causing this? We, we don't know. There are those who are facing family problems. Maybe marital problems. Maybe uh, struggles and there's turmoil, there's dysfunction in your family. There's something that's keeping you awake at night. There's something that's causing friction and causing a burden. There could be job situations. There could be struggles with depression. There could be uh, just looking at our country. There could be those with even suicidal thoughts and anxiety and the different things. How many struggles do people have in our society? And you're, just because you came to church on Sunday morning doesn't mean you're exempt from it. But can I tell you this? Based on the authority of God's Word, that God cares about your situation. He knows where you are, and He cares about your situation, and He has the power to change your situation. Okay? If God can part the Red Sea, if God can physically bring down the walls of Jericho, that wasn't just something imaginary, the physical walls of Jericho that were high and very thick disappeared because God said so. If God could prepare a great fish to swallow Jonah and keep him alive for three days till he spit him up on the other shore, these are not fables, these are real events that happen. If God has the power to do that, don't you think God has the power to work in your life? To work in that situation? The Bible says the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. He turneth it whithersoever He will. God can do something about the political situation of our country. God can do something about what's taking place in the politics of your job and what's taking place across our world. God can do that. problem is sometimes we cry to God to fix our problem, but we do not wish to turn aside and learn what Jesus is doing that is greater than our personal feelings and our personal pain. Jeez, God does not exist for us. He's not just here to make our life better. God cares about your soul. God cares about you serving Him. God cares about you fulfilling His purpose and His mission in the life. So you got to bring your problem to Jesus Christ. you got to bring your problem to Jesus Christ. Can I tell you this? Psychology and self-help does not have the answers for what you're going through. It does not. Drugs and medication and those type of things are not going to make your life better. Alcohol or whatever it happens to be is not going to solve your problem. Can I tell you this? The Bible says God's Word has the answers for your finances. God's Word has the answers for your marriage. God's Word has the answers for family situations, for your health situations, for your job situations. That's not saying you shouldn't go to a doctor. That isn't saying you should use a bank and use a financial planner and some of that, but God's Word does have the answers. Instead of going to everything else, sometimes God allows the pressure to build to the point that we go, I have nowhere else to turn but God. And God says, I finally got you where I want you. Number one, are you going to bring your problems to God? Or are you going to try to fix it on your own? I, I can handle this one, God. I've tried to work on cars by myself. It doesn't work out very good. It takes me 
10 times as long as it would to go to the shop. Now I still do it. And last time I was working on the brake caliper, I ended up shearing off the brake piston that's on the caliper. And so I had to go buy the whole new caliper and put it back on. Isn't that how we often do life? Rather than taking it to the one who built it and the one who knows how it goes together, we say, I got this. And bruises and bumps and struggles later, God, you're still the only one that can fix this. But not only do we have to bring our problems to God, we have to believe God's word. you got to believe the promises of God. If you're going to be saved, it's through repentance and surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You don't get saved your own way. You get saved only through Jesus Christ. And by the way, you're not going to see Jesus Christ in a physical way. That, that was in my notes right now. You're not going to, Jesus Christ is not going to give you a vision and reveal himself to you. He's already done that on the cross. You have to believe his word. You have to repent of your sins. You have to trust in him. The healing of that boy was just as real as if Jesus physically touched him, even though he never did. We live in a time where we can't see Jesus, but he is just as real as if we could see him like those disciples did, and his power is just as real. Trust in him. God has given specific revelation in his word about the problems of this life. You know what's going to help your anxiety and depression? Pray, casting all your cares upon Him, for He careth for you. Uh, Philippians 4 tells us, Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. That's where we often struggle. Let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God that passes understanding shall keep your heart and mind in Jesus Christ. That keeping and that peace, is, peace that passes understanding does not come until we believe His word and pray. Till we give it to the Lord. God has the plan for marriage. And it's not going to be found in the library. It's not going to be found on some self-help. The Bible says, husbands love your wives. Wives submit to your husbands. And by, by the way, even if, you're, even if your spouse is lost, you're still to do God's plan for marriage because sometimes through that, that lost person can become convinced of the truth of God and get saved. You're to be a witness to them. Someone else's negligence does not remove your responsibility of doing what God has said. Finances, God said tithe even when things are tight. Now, I didn't make that up. That's from the Word of God. A pastor friend of mine, he had his acronyms for everything. He had an acronym for debt. Doing everything but tithing. It's true. How does 90% work better than 100%? I don't know, but God said it does. And either you're going to believe God's word and receive God's blessings, or you're going to keep trying to do it yourself. How are we going to build a church in Long Island? It's so cold. It's so hard. Nobody wants to come to church. What has God said? Preach the gospel. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. People say, I don't care about doctrine anymore. People might leave the church, but I can tell you this I can't change what God's word has said. 
Either we're going to believe God's Word and do what God's Word has said, or we're on our own, pal. Either you're going to take God at His Word and believe what He said and do it, or you don't. It's called faith. See, Jesus will heal your life and He can heal your soul when you seek God and when you believe His Word. It's really that simple. That's why we sing the song, Trust and Obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus. What do you think would have happened if this man had said, no, I can't believe it? I don't believe his son would have been healed. You're not going to see the blessings of God until you bring it to God and then you believe what God has said. He's already written everything we need to know right here. Are we going to believe it? Or are we going to keep doing our own thing? He has the answers to the problem in your life. If you simply bring it to Jesus, God, I can't handle this. And he may say, just go your way. Do it. Keep being faithful to where God has placed you. Keep serving God. Do it God's way. Believe his word. And then God does bring the walls down. God does do the impossible. God can save that family member. God can do that when we just bring it to Jesus and we believe his word.